Good morning, everyone, and welcome to a special edition of A Vision for You. Today is Sunday, February 28, 2016. The share ID for Friday, February 26, is 8493. That's 8493. This morning, A Vision for You presents Seeking Sobriety, Finding Serenity. All of us have come to this program as a result of the bewilderment, frustration, and despair we experienced in our disease of compulsive overeating. OA stands for the proposition that the 12 steps give us freedom from the bondage of our disease. The 12 steps, as outlined in the big book, represent a process of spiritual awakening, a personality change sufficient to overcome compulsive overeating. If practiced as a way of life, the program of recovery can and will expel the greater aspect of our disease, the obsession to take that first bite, and enable the sufferer to become happy, joyous, and free. Joining us this morning is Rachel W., a recovered compulsive overeater from New York, Rachel's life has been transformed as the result of our 12 steps, and she's here to share her story with us today. Welcome to the line, Rachel W. Good morning, Leah. Can I be heard? Indeed. Thank you. Okay, great. Good morning. Good morning, Leah. Thank you so much. Good morning, everyone. This is Rachel W., and um, I'm a recovered compulsive overreader calling from New York. Um, first of all, I'd like to thank you for the opportunity to share my experience, strength, and hope. And whenever I give over something I've learned in this program or something that's inspired me, I'm reminded of what my sponsor always says, and that's that now that you know it or now that you've experienced it and come out on the other side, in order to keep it, you're obligated to share with others. So like the big book says, we can't give over something that we don't have. So what I'm sharing today is a reminder of what lives inside of me what is there because others have given so freely to me and how I use it to escape a mental obsession that wants me dead. I won't spend too much time on my history as a compulsive overeater. Whatever you've done, I've probably done as well. I know what it's like to place Costco chocolate chip cookies above the needs of my family, to stop at a bakery after receiving a diagnosis of a health complication directly related to sugar, to own racks of clothing and have nothing to wear, to cry to my sponsor about my desperate need to eat, and that eating was how I coped, and to consider her suggestion that I put the food down, tantamount to removing an oxygen mask to commit suicide. So you see, I've, I've earned my seat here in these rooms. I hid food as a child. I used it to placate. I was active on the swim team and tennis team of my high school. I loved physical activity, and this helped me hide those moments when I would eat an entire box of Entenmann's or binge on Snickers bars with my friends at swim meets. Even though I didn't grow up in a religious home, my mother's Moroccan background brought a dose of spirituality into our lives. She would talk about a personal God that was good and concerned about us, but there was also this mysterious evil eye that could really botch things up if we weren't careful. I always wondered about the religion I was born into, which was so vastly different from my friends that lived in our town in Illinois. I remember taking out the garbage in the evening and then being distracted by a luminous sunset over the horizon. I live in New York now, And while I appreciate its mountains and valleys, there is something to be said about experiencing a sunset across plains that stretch uninterrupted for miles. Ever since I can remember, 
I was compelled to search for something more, some spirit of the universe, this personal God of my mother that seemed at the time loving and temperamental, that was in conflict with this evil eye. It couldn't be that bad if it created something as spectacular as those sunsets across the Midwestern sky. That yearning for something more was the undercurrent of my childhood and I believe a precursor for my life as an addict. There simply had to be more than the abuse and dysfunction that permeated my home. As a young girl, I remember trying to control the chaos by escaping to my room, usually with food, and arranging all of my stuffed dolls and animals on my bed, then off my bed, then on my bed again. My room was spotless and in control, the perfect setting for creating stories to rise above the harsh reality. In high school, my friends and I would go roller skating on Saturday nights, followed by a midnight meal at McDonald's. My order was always the same. I lived for Big Macs. At the time, I was about 15 years old and fascinated with my mother's Moroccan heritage and pictures of my relatives there. I figured that if I wanted to truly connect spiritually, I should investigate my own religion. So one of the first things I learned was that it was not acceptable to mix milk with meat. I decided that week that I would stop eating Big Macs, and I haven't had one since. Anything's possible, but I would bet money that if I was in a room filled with Big Macs today, I most probably would not eat one. And this was my first experience with giving up something for a spiritual purpose as a 30, 93 to be vital faith by self-sacrifice and unselfish constructive action. I got married and promptly gained 40 pounds with each birth of my children. I was left with 10 more pounds to deal with. I was frustrated with my extra weight and felt a deep frustration that I had not found a solution to my weight issue. To be, to be honest, my main issue that I had not yet discovered a way for me was that I had not discovered a way for me to eat whatever I wanted without my body finding out about it. I experienced an ecstasy in solitary eating that cannot be explained. To me, there was no greater thrill than enjoying food alone, hidden away from everyone, just me and that private pleasure of food. In my food euphoria, I believed I was escaping my world, while in reality, each bite was a descent into a hellish pit that only a power greater than me could rescue me from. My experience is explained at the bottom of page XXVIII in the doctor's opinion, where it says, men and women drink essentially because they like the effect produced by alcohol. The sensation is so elusive that while they admit it is injurious, they cannot after a time differentiate the true from the false. When my sister passed away in 1994, I remember coping with her last days surrounded by wrappers and cellophane. I remember commenting to my husband about feeling so desperately out of control. In fact, I was sure that this compulsion to eat was similar to that of an alcoholic. I had no idea that God was already weaving the miracle of an expanding fellowship that would ultimately save my life. And this is a good lesson to remember, that when I face a challenge, God has already shifted things for me to seek and find its resolution. I came into OA in 1999 and never left the rooms. And that's a message to anyone listening, wherever you are in your program, to keep coming back because the miracles truly do happen. And perhaps the biggest miracle has been to remain open to the program literature that contained only a rare mention of the big book. There was a time when the big book's description of my disease would scare me, but I've since learned that as much as I can identify in with the problem is the degree of recovery I will experience in the solution. But that first lesson is grueling. On page 30, the big book tells us, we learned that we had to fully concede to our innermost selves that we were alcoholics. This is the first step in recovery. The delusion that we are like other people, or presently maybe, has to be smashed. Let's get this straight. 
I spent my entire life creating stories, and now you're telling me I have to smash them? My delusions helped me survive an abusive childhood and other chaos. It was only through telling myself stories and manipulating facts to my advantage that I could manage my life. All along, I thought stories had served me, especially the story that I could eat like other people. But as my sponsor says, you're a victim only until you're 18. Those childhood ways of coping with stories simply don't work anymore as an adult. And facts become problems when we make believe they don't exist. In the big book story, He Who Loses His Life, on page 535, we read that as the person with the grown-up brain and the childhood emotions grows older, such traits as vanity, self-interest, false pride, jealousy, longing for social approval, make him or her a likely candidate for alcoholism or compulsive overeating. So these days, it's up to me to take responsibility for my feelings, behaviors, and stories, and the steps have allowed me to do just that. Here in step one, I'm being told that the very first action of this program, in fact, the entire foundation of it, is that stories are not allowed. No longer can I justify foods or food behaviors. No longer can I be sober and think I can manage life and food decisions on my own. Delusions at any point in our program must be smashed. I wasn't one of those people who had tried everything to lose weight, like the cabbage soup diets, the pills, the extreme restrictions. I loved food far too much to restrict it. I had always been drawn to food plants that made sense and that I could manipulate, like Weight Watchers, where I was told I could eat or drink whatever I wanted, as long as I kept a notebook of whatever I was eating and applied a point system to everything listed there. Easy as pie. Just don't exceed your points and don't blink or you might miss the weight as it melts off your body. Can we all agree that addicts are extremely creative? I've made up so many lies and excuses to get my way, especially around food, and I immediately found loopholes in the point system where I had to write down my food and count it. So follow this logic. In order not to count extra food, I simply didn't write it down. Makes sense, right? And what about a glass of vodka and orange juice? Well, that was a fruit. And how harmful could the vodka be when it looked exactly like water? Let's just say I would have been an extremely popular sponsor and probably would have killed more than a few people. But thank God my story doesn't end there. So even though I was willing to commit to a long-term process and I managed to remain absent for a while, I always encountered the same brick wall of self with a capital S that hurled me back into the food. Page 34 in the big book tells us about this baffling feature of alcoholism as we know it, this utter inability to leave it alone, no matter how great the necessity or the wish. After giving birth to my last child in 2004, I was over 100 pounds. I was a 3X, getting bigger with each day. My disease was out of control. I remember sitting in a traffic light in a sugar coma with my small children in the back seat, thinking about how it would be fitting for a police officer to pull me over because I couldn't focus on my driving. I also remember sitting at our dining room table, praying to God to transform me into a normal eater, someone who could simply sit by the table, enjoy a meal, and be satisfied. In 2005, at 265 pounds, I met my sponsor, who introduced me to what I call the first layer of the big book, and the AA 12 Steps and 12 Traditions. She also taught me an approach to this program that is the basis for how I live in it today. Very often I hear fellows complicate the step two process of finding a higher power by getting caught up in trying to define or understand it. For me, the process of getting a sponsor is the same as finding a higher power. God is at the center of my higher power base. Then everything else meant to inspire me emanates from that. Meditations are higher powers. Every morning, all of you who make this meeting create a higher power. 
nature as God's creation inspires me to a closer relationship with all of the masculine and feminine attributes of God. My sponsor, my program network, and co-fellows in recovery, and even those out of the rooms, anyone who believes in me more than I believe in myself is a higher power to me. Obtaining a sponsor helped me believe that I could obtain a higher power. As the big book says on page 47 of We Agnostics, as soon as a man can say that he does believe or is willing to believe, we emphatically assure him he is on his way. The first thing this sponsor did was to help get me in touch with the voices in my head. I soon learned that the voice of my disease was screaming at me the entire day. I learned to differentiate it from a small, thin, quiet voice that was drawing me towards my holy essence. I learned to make room for the quieter voice. She also helped me remove the drama from my disease. I would call her up quaking with fear and the humiliation of needing to admit that I had broken my absence yet again. She would calmly point out how much sense it made for me to be binging. It was confirmation for what I always believed and that I was truly a compulsive overeater. She tolerated my abstinent binging cycle for six months until finally, in July of 2006, I got abstinent and stayed there. Within a year and a half, I lost 100 pounds. Just for reference, I'm almost 5'9", so between 160 and 165 is a good weight for me. It puts me at about a size 10, 12. I was a size 22 before, so you can imagine the difference. Anyone who has experienced extreme weight loss knows how crucial it is to shift yourself into someone who can manage the constant barrage of comments and attention over the change in your physical appearance. In fact, I knew right away that if I didn't find a way to handle it, I would regain every pound. I'm happy to go further into this experience with anyone who can relate. At the time, the steps were more of a concept for me than a practice. While I had understood the 12 steps and had shared them enthusiastically with others, I hadn't honestly accepted the steps myself. My ego, my pride, and a basic insanity were effectively blocking that acceptance. I would read about them, share about them, sponsor with them, yet I was lacking the vital spiritual experience that the big book tells us is necessary to recover. I'd like to stop here just to point out one thing, that although this is my 17th year in this program, and I wasn't absent the entire time, Every moment in this program is valuable. Each binge, each day of abstinence, each fail, and each time my higher power and co-fellows helped me get back up. None of my years in this program, even the ones in relapse, were without purpose and meaning. I don't negate any, any part of my experience, and I'm almost thinking I should mostly be grateful for the failures, since rising above them with the generous help of my fellows brought me to even more strength and inspiration than I would have come to on my own. I went through the years sponsoring, starting meetings, and qualifying. Always, people would gravitate to me for mainly one purpose, to find out what I was eating and how I could stay so thin. Yes, I was carrying a message of this program, yet today when I look back on those years, I see that my message was that becoming thin and better looking was a great cover for emotional and spiritual maladies that wreaked havoc in my life. In other words, I was working the program up until the level I would allow myself and no more. I was not allowing myself to grow. Just as my body evolved into a middle-aged woman in this program, my soul was desperate to expand, but I wasn't letting it. In big book terminology on page 35, this is called failing to enlarge my spiritual base, and it's a recipe for disaster. My sponsor and small network left the program. For one year, I committed my food and did almost nothing else. In January 2013, my life was challenged with several events that collided into a perfect storm of such challenge that picking up food was an option. I felt myself giving myself away. I didn't binge or gain much weight at first, but by the summer of 2014, 
My weight started climbing, and by then I had gained almost 40 pounds. I was in the hell of relapse, that blurry state of step one, living with the unmanageability of knowing exactly what I needed to do, that I needed to put the food down, and that I had done it before, but simply not having the ability to do it. The unmanageability crept into other areas of my life as well. I was living in self-will, knowing how things should be, having a better plan than God, then stepping up into the self-proclaimed role of God, since he clearly needed my help, then watching as things collapsed because I simply could not accept that God was not doing things my way. In relapse, it's common to always look backwards to the past. I was consumed with the goal of reclaiming the abstinence I had. I was obsessed with wanting my old program back. My father fought on D-Day, dropped troops in Normandy, rescued prisoners from concentration camps, and then met my mother in Morocco after the war when he was stationed there to set up communication systems throughout the country. I was born on a military base in Illinois. This explains not only my interest in history, particularly of the world wars, but also how I experienced relapse. I imagine myself as a general, reigning in the troops, dusty and dirty, spreading a map on the table and saying, how on earth did this happen? We knew the enemy. We knew this disease. We knew it needed to be contained. We suited up and carefully selected our weapons. We threw the enemy into a cage and fortified each bar with another tool of the program, sponsorship, literature, phone calls, meetings, writing, service. Our plan of eating was tailored to lose weight. We honored each other's anonymity. Where did we fail? I had no idea that the way out of relapse was not to look behind me, but rather to open myself up to an entirely new recovery experience that I could never have imagined. At this point, once again, the universe was beckoning. It was calling upon my soul to expand, and I was blocking its message with food and the constant morbid reflection of being an OA failure. Drifting alone without a meeting or fellowship, I stumbled upon the Vision for You phone meeting in the summer of 2014. I listened once and couldn't stop. I heard people who had been absent for years, filled with hope and a new way of living. I heard them peeling away layers from each word in the big book, which I was familiar with but had never used as an in-depth textbook for recovery. I heard people share how the big book was all they needed to halt their addiction. Even through binging, their messages pierced through. Finally, in November 2014, I could no longer ignore my need to climb into their ranks, and this process started by putting down the food. Getting abstinent was finally accomplished in one conversation that I can only attribute to divine intervention. I was trying to convince someone of my deficiency in being an OA member, how I had let the entire fellowship down, how I shouldn't join any events because my binging might be contagious, and I clearly had no hope to offer anyone. Just a quick note. This describes that infamous morbid reflection that the big book warns us about on page 86. But we must be careful not to drift into worry, remorse, or morbid reflection, for that would diminish our usefulness to others. Morbid reflection inflated my pride and ego to such an extent that I had lost my purpose and usefulness to others and myself. I learned to use my involvement in service. I've learned since then to use my involvement in service as a barometer for determining my level of morbid reflection and vice versa. Back to that conversation. Something happened when I was speaking. I could sense a higher self climbing out, the same higher self that Vision for You meetings had alluded to, and I came to realize that I was not my disease. My entire concept of God changed at that moment. I said to myself, in step seven, we refer to God, our higher power, as a creator. 
if I truly do believe there is a creator and that this higher power creates myriads of blessings in my life, then this same higher power gives me challenges, but they are all out of love as well. If my creator creates everything, good and bad, then it's all good. It wouldn't make sense for me only to say there's a something else that gives me such good and not acknowledge that there might be a positive purpose in the uncomfortable things that occur as well. So here again, I could feel the universe calling upon my soul to expand. And because of the meetings and fellowship, I was finally able to withdraw my resistance enough to let it. I eventually came to the place I live today, described in the big book on page 450, Then I realized that I had to separate my sobriety from everything else that was going on in my life. No matter what happened or didn't happen, I couldn't drink. In fact, none of these things I was going through had anything to do with my sobriety. The tides of life flow endlessly for better or worse, good or bad, and I cannot allow my sobriety to become dependent on these ups and downs of living. Sobriety must have a life of its own. Perhaps the most important factor in my recovery from relapse was that I continuously reached out to others who had what I wanted. It was by doing this that I developed the network tapestry of the most beautiful human beings on the planet from all walks of life, one one of whom escorted me to the sponsor I have today. My past sponsors had one goal, to get me to put down the food. We would work the steps. I would eventually put down the food. We would enter the ominous area of the fourth step. Then the food would be an option once again. So yes, the steps made me abstinent, but I could not have the appropriate shift and alignment of self until I put the food down and kept it there. In the doctor's opinion on page XXVI, we are told, more often than not, it is imperative that a man's brain be cleared before he is approached, as he has then a better chance of understanding and accepting what we have to offer. While it's true that you can work step one while becoming abstinent, in order to have the psychic change necessary for that spiritual experience, I know without a doubt that in order to get the proper effect, the steps must be worked with a clear head, with all the addictions down. I can't be abstinent with my food and then engage in another addiction. It's only a matter of time before that scenario crashes and burns. I give her a tremendous amount of credit for sticking it out with me. And more about alcoholism, we meet our friend Jim, of who it says on page 35, to his consternation, he found himself drunk half a dozen times in rapid succession. On each of these occasions, we worked with him, reviewing carefully what had happened. He agreed he was a real alcoholic in a serious condition. I take this as validation for those times when my sponsor didn't give up on me. In doing so, she has revolutionized the program for me and helped me develop a new design for living. After years of seeking only sobriety in this program, she taught me that keeping the food down and focusing on the steps is the path to true serenity. She tells me I have what it takes to work this program, and she summarizes it in one word, perseverance. As the general, I had to revamp the strategy of fighting this disease. I needed to understand the new topography and decide my weapons. First and foremost, I needed a complete and total overhaul in my relationship with God. Step two is coming to believe that a power greater than myself can restore me to sanity. I had no problem believing in God as a power, God as a creator, but it doesn't end there. In step three, I turn my will and my life over to the care of God as I understand him. At this point, I'm being encouraged to find a personal relationship with God. The big book tells us that this vital spiritual experience is crucial. I needed to understand that I am in combat with a mental obsession and that this enemy can defeat me far more than a physical death. 
Deceit of it requires a daily enlarging of my spiritual base where I am willing to risk uncertainty and a new experience. I had fought this war with conventional weaponry, the tools of the program. Now I had to fight with nuclear weapons, the daily meditations, constant contact with my commander and creator, vigilance in keeping the enemy from poking my ego out of its cage, surveying my battleground and ammunition by reaching out to others for 10 steps. My weapons had to be forged from the raging fire of a passionate, unswerving belief in a higher power. I fortify myself with prayers, including the set-aside prayer, where I ask God to set aside anything I think I know about myself, my disease, the people, place, or thing that's irritating me, so that I may have an open mind and a new experience. My enemy disintegrates in the face of prayers like that. The more personal, the more effective. Another defense against my disease is humor, for better or for worse. I was raised in a family that deflected emotion with humor. I've come to appreciate my love of laughter as a highlight in my life. I think it's even more important for us here on the firing line, taking life seriously as adults and cleaning up our act, to find laughter at least once each day. Here's an example of what I mean. I was traveling overseas, and the ticket agent informed me that I had had to pay a fee since my suitcase was five pounds more than it was allowed. I responded, look... I recently lost 100 pounds, and if I hadn't, you'd be schlepping that instead. So is there any way you can let this go? And he did. If I could, I would add laughter as a necessary tool of the program. War against this disease meant becoming honest regarding my food plan and acknowledging that even within abstinence, there were foods that I simply could not have. Anyone on this line who has experienced relapse can relate to how excruciatingly difficult it is to put the food down. But at some point, I asked myself, Had I ever done this before? How incredibly huge is my ego that I cannot even let the food go? I simply cannot accept that I can't have extra food. Have I ever given up anything for a higher purpose? As a woman in my 40s, my mind catapulted back to when I was 15, making that decision not to have another Big Mac and realizing that, yes, this ability to sacrifice was within me. I only needed to harness it now in my new reality as an adult. Honesty was also required when I went through steps four through nine with my sponsor. I hadn't done a four-step in a while, so I had a buildup of about 30 resentments regarding different people, places, and institutions, yet they all led me to the same place. We followed the Joe and Charlie fourth-step sheets. Each line of resentment was exactly the same. It started off with mentioning that someone did me a terrible wrong, which led to my character defects need to change, which led to my need to have more faith in God and know that there is a master plan for all of us. In fact, sometimes in my 10 steps, I'm already at that conclusion before I pick up the phone. I'd say that the root of what I'm always dealing with is, who do I become when I don't get my way? The way out of this disease is self-compassion, and a great shift towards it came for me in the 12 and 12 in step six when Bill W. mentions that we are born with an abundance of natural instincts, and isn't it strange, and it isn't strange that we often let these far exceed their intended purpose. You know, fear is a good thing. It saved my life more than once when I was warned against swimming too far out in the lake or gearing up to ski in cold winter. But my fear was not normal. The fear I felt as a child was reeking into my marriage career in every other corner of my life and ending up in addiction. It had to be set straight. It had to be aligned in these steps where I learned how to use it properly as a gift from God. Far more than abstinence, today I have a new way of living. God has done for me what I could not do for myself. However, I have to take action. Being restored to sanity means I have an entirely new way to react to life. 
I monitor my emotions and any precursor of an emotional binge. When some unmanageability of my life occurs, great or small, I lean into the steps and keep pressing until I emerge on the other side in the act of service to another, including my husband and family, and sometimes especially so. We all have our stuff that we bring into our relationships. And for me, the greatest amends I found was to my husband, who was the first to blame for anything because it was far too painful to look at myself. For him, there's a living amends that continues each day. I once told my sponsor about a resentment towards him, and she said, did you search for selfishness, dishonesty, self-seeking? I said, yes. I see where he has been selfish, dishonest, and self-seeking. And not only that, I know exactly what he needs to do to make an amends. Well, as you know, she wasn't talking about him. (laughs) She often directs me to my good friend, Dr. Paulo. We're on page 418. He talks about that new pair of glasses. As I drank more and more, the alcohol seemed to affect my vision. Instead of continuing to see what was good about my wife, I began to see her defects. And the more I focused my mind on her defects, the more they grew and multiplied. Every defect I pointed out to her became greater and greater. Each time I told her she was a nothing, she receded a little more into nowhere. The more I drank, the more she wilted. Then one day in AA, I was told that I had the lens in my glasses backwards. The courage to change in the serenity prayer meant that I should not change my marriage, but rather that I should change myself and learn to accept my spouse as she was. AA has given me a new pair of glasses. I can again focus on my wife's good qualities and watch them grow and grow and grow. Being restored to sanity also means stepping out of God's way and letting go of the delusion, there it is again, that I can control anything whatsoever except for my own reaction to life. Recently, I was in my car deliberating over a situation until I parked, threw out my hands and said, you know, God, that's it. I'm done. I'm out of here. I tried everything. I even tried praying to you, God, but I just don't know what to do anymore. And you know what my next thought was? Not simply whether I'm the only person who talks themselves, because nowadays with Bluetooth, you never know who's on the phone or who needs to be committed. But my next thought was that I had just been fooling myself. Here I am thinking that I need to move heaven and earth to change something. And then I declare I'm stepping out of the way. And I could almost sense God and everyone else in heaven rolling their eyes and saying, finally, she's stepping out of the way. Now we can finally step in and make some miracles happen. So much about my program today is appreciating that we don't have to do this work perfectly. We just have to do it. The email I use for this program is choosingrecovery at gmail.com. That's choosing with one O. I mistakenly left out the second O when I created the email, and I left it that way as a reminder that I don't have to be perfect. I just have to be active in this program. My sponsor has given me a daily living assignment to live in the steps, that the answer is always in the steps. Within five minutes, I can pull any unmanageability through the steps. I become honest in step one and admit my life is unmanageable and something, my attitude or actions must change. I become hopeful in step two with a renewed belief that my higher power can handle this unmanageability. And if there's something in my belief that's lacking, I ask myself whether I can believe that my higher power has all the attributes to handle all of my life. If not, I hover in step two until this belief comes. I have faith in step three as I become willing to turn my life and will over to the care of this higher power and the newly discovered attributes I found in my belief. I have courage and integrity in steps four and five by exposing my disease into the light, telling someone else about my resentment and defects. I'm willing in step six to let God remove everything which I have admitted about my character that is objectionable. I am humble in step seven by actually praying for God to do so.
I practice self-discipline and love in steps eight and nine by repairing the damage of a past run on self-will. I practice perseverance in step 10 by continuing to take personal inventory throughout my day and setting right any new mistakes as I go along. I practice spiritual awareness in step 11 by pausing when doubtful and contemplating my day, asking God to direct it so that I avoid morbid reflection and remain in service to others. I practice service in step 12 by making time to speak with my sponsor, my sponsees, newcomers, and my network. As it says in Chapter 7 regarding Step 12, life will take on new meaning. To watch people recover, to see them help others, to watch loneliness vanish, to see a fellowship grow up about you, to have a host of friends, this is an experience you must not miss. We know you will not want to miss it. Frequent contact with newcomers and with each other is a bright spot of our lives. This was how I emerged from the morbid reflection of relapse and binging into a life centered on usefulness to myself and to others. Thank you for allowing me to share my experience. Thank you, Rachel W., for sharing your experience, strength, and hope with us this morning. Quite a message of hope and possibility for all of us on the line. Thank you very much. Rachel W.'s contact information will be offered at the conclusion of the recording, so stay tuned for that. And now we will transition to questions. If you have a question for Rachel W., press star 1 to unmute and identify yourself, please. Good morning, Leah. This is Mary Lee of Oregon. Hi, Mary Lee. One moment. Anyone else? Hi, Leah. Yes. Hi, Leah. Mary Lou, California. Mary Lou. Carolyn S.H. Carolyn S.H. Anyone else at this time? Okay, well, let's get started with Mary Lee, please. Oh, good morning. This is Mary Lee R. in Oregon. And thank you, Rachel. Um, Thank you, thank you. Could you talk a little bit about what your 11th step looks like for you? Thank you. Thank you, Mary Lee. Um, Good morning. Thank you for that question. Um, My 11th step, you know, follows page 86 the questions there um i have uh actually i have an app that i use on my phone as well that i i you know before i go to sleep i use that app to also do the check-in um that's pretty much it (laughs) you know follow the questions you know taking the questions and just um you know i i really i really do believe that this process has to be something we can live with and that it shouldn't be that complicated um, there are times, there's certainly days that I need to take more of a look at, at uh, you know, might take a more in-depth look at different things, but I definitely believe in uh, simplifying the process as much as possible that I, I do the action of it. And um, I, so I have that app, I do the check-in, and if I notice there's a little more that I need to look at, um, there's actually in the app, I can write even a little more in there and take a look at it the next day as well. But um but that's on a you know on a simple level that's the answer i'd say if you're searching for a, a method you know to search for something that works for you but the page you know it tells us on page 86 the direct instructions thank you mary lee r for your question now we'll move on to mary lou 
Hi, Mary Lou, California. Can I be heard? Yes. Okay. I just wanted to thank you for your share, and I want to ask you um, about the program. You said that your sponsor gave you uh, kind of a, I don't know if it was a guideline for living or uh, not a guideline, but like something that you do every day, like meditate. And if you meditate, would you do it in the morning or in the evening? Is that like a big part of your um, recovery, uh, a certain amount of meditation? So I, good morning, Mary. I, I didn't hear the question uh, clearly. Could you repeat it, Leah? Let's ask say. Mary Lou. Yes, Mary Lou, can you speak up so we can get every word of your question? Oh, okay. Sorry about that. Much better. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, I had my mouth away from the phone. Okay, I was just, you had said that you're, uh, you know, now that you're living in 10, 11, 12, that your sponsor has given you sort of a, or if it's something that's more born of you, kind of something you do every day, you meditate every day, do your 10 steps at night, or is it something that just, uh, is organic, like you organically meditate every morning at a certain time. You have a regimen, basically, that you do to keep you in that sense of connection with higher power. Does that make sense? Okay, thank you. Yeah, I think so. Thanks for the question, um, and good morning to you. Yes, I do have a meditation I do in the morning um, where I, I will sit, you know, quietly and I, I will have meditation then. I also have other times in my day, um, if I sense the, the tenor of my day exceeding a certain limit, um, you know, I will, I will, you know, I will sit quietly and try to also ground myself in that way. Now, the, my ability to do that, though, is only contingent upon the, the, um, the way that I ten step throughout my day, I don't. I don't only ten step once. It's more like a, a check in. When I say that my sponsor has given me a, a, a daily design for living, that means that um, no matter what's going on in my life, meaning any unmanageability, I could be sitting in line, you know, in traffic, or I could be, um, you know, just just something that's kind of like not going my way, but not throwing my life off too much, but sort of like you know, an inconvenience or something, and un, something that I feel is unmanageable. That could be pulled through the steps. Within minutes, I, I can pull that through the steps. I can think to myself. I can acknowledge the unmanageability. I can ask whether or not I believe that God will take care of this or has the attributes to take care of that thing. And, and am I willing to trust that I'm, I'm meant to be sitting here in traffic? Like this is what's this is what's best for me right now. And and what are the defects coming out for me? You know what what's happening for me in that moment that that I, I feel the urge to you know <laughs> that I can't I can't sit still with this thing going on. And, um, and is there an amends to make? You know, have I been honking at everybody or, or rude, you know? And, and then, um, and then sit, just sitting in the moment. And I think the more that I do that check-in, meaning the more that I watch for that emotional binging is what she calls it, um, the more I can meditate and the more that I can be grounded because that, that can't happen unless I'm having, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm keeping my emotions in check. Um, I hope that answered your question. But thank you for it. Thank you, Mary Lou. And now we'll turn to Carolyn S.H., please. Thank you, Leah. Hi, good morning. Uh, Rachel, thank you so much. It was such a delight to hear your story. Uh, I would love to hear more about um, when you go back in your daily design and you do step one and two and you said that um, you ask if, you ask yourself if your higher power has all the attributes to handle this 
um, specific situation. And you, you just gave an example of like traffic, and I was wondering if you would give another example or just talk more about that process and how how like the new attributes of your higher power come to you, how your higher power evolves and and um, what that is like and how your step two keeps evolving daily. Thank you so much, Carolyn. It's a great question. I love it. I love talking step two. <laughs> I think it's just, for me, it's the foundation of the entire program. Um, you know, I I definitely come to that, that conflict. I think it's basically part of the human condition, but that conflict when things are occurring and they're not going my way and or, or how I think they should go. Um, and there's that, that kind of wall you hit, you know, and I feel that um, I know that, you know, I, I need to do the shift. It's not that, that uh, I know better than God, you know, it's that there's something with me that needs to become live in that acceptance because my, my serenity is, is really the most important thing. So, um, so basically what I do is, you know, I, I've, I had a situation recently um, where I, this past week, actually, I've been dealing with a sciatica issue and, um, and, you know, I was doing stretches on my floor every morning and I was listening to the meeting and I was hearing Leah, you know, talk about this person sharing this Sunday about a story of transformation. I was there with my feet at a 90 degree angle thinking, I hope I'm transformed by Sunday because <laughs> it'll be pretty painful if I'm like this, you know, and, um, and I just kept asking God, I just kept saying, God, you know, this is in your hands. It's not what I, what I think it should be. I think talking to God is really important. I think putting verbal, you know, verbally expressing myself to God is, is important. Um, but I, I obviously it's, it was not his will for me to wake up each morning um, and just bounce out of bed this week. It was his will for me to be in excruciating pain. And, um, and I had to deal with that, but it's, it's, it's more about trusting and that, 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 um, the uncertain, the risk of uncertainty, you know, am I willing to risk that this is this, can I risk that I just don't know that I don't know what's best. And, um, can I, can I stay in that place, you know, of, of just saying it's, doing that, that free fall, you know, into God's hands. Um, that's where I, I find myself, you know, in the, in those situations where sometimes it is like that. It is, it is just saying, I don't know, but, but it's not saying I don't know. And therefore I need to go eat or I don't know. And therefore I need to go and, and ruin something because I'm so frustrated that I don't know. And it, doing these steps each day and living in this way um, I cannot know, and it's okay. It's okay that I don't know. Um, um, so I, I guess, like you know, every and every day, I think there's always an opportunity to to go further into you know the fact that I don't know and and give up that that you know that pull of needing to know. Um, but you know, it's in terms of practically you know practical things. Again, like I think that when we do these actions, when we do when we do the the actions of, of the steps and getting up and doing the prayer, the meditation and, and connecting, I think these things come much more easily to us. Um, and if we, if we just continue, like perseverance is really the main thing just to keep doing it. Thank you, Carolyn SH for your question. Who else has a question this morning for Rachel? Star one to unmute. This is Karen S. in Michigan. Karen, good morning. Anyone else? Hi, Leah. Hi. This is Julie. 
D from Colorado. Julie D. Cheryl from Maryland. Cheryl from Maryland. Cheryl, what's the first initial of your last name? S. S. Okay. Anyone else? Karen T. from Louisiana. Karen T. Gladys from Chicago. Jackie. Jackie. Gladys. Right. Gotcha, Gladys. And then Jackie. Okay, that's a fine group. Let's start with Karen S., please. Good morning. Hi, Jackie um, from Ohio. Gotcha. Yes, Ohio. <laughs> What's your first yes. name? Uh, J- Jackie from Ohio. Yes, Jackie, we have you. So let's start with Karen S., please, and we'll go in order. Thank you. Thank you. Hi, this is Karen. Can you hear me? Sure can. Okay, thanks. Um, hi, Rachel. Thank you so much for your um, story and your and your wise words. Um you just mentioned a phrase that um, is intriguing, and that was emotional binging. Could you talk about that a little bit? What do you What do you mean by emotional binging? Thank you, Karen. Um, good morning to you. Thank you for the question. Mm-hmm. You know, um, like I shared when I first came in the program, I just wanted to lose weight and be thin, and and I and I am a spiritual person, as I as I pointed that out from day one. I've I've always been a seeker and all that. So. Um, you know, a friend of mine told me, oh, this thing called OA is so spiritual. Why don't you go and you can even lose weight? So even during doing the steps all those years, I just wanted to be thin. I just wanted to lose weight. And mm-hmm. um, so the focus was so much about not binging on the food. But the sponsor I have now um, taught me like probably the biggest lesson of my life. And that is that there is such a thing before. I mean, we, you know, we're reading this also. We're up to in the reading during the week, but before we actually pick up that food, before we, we actually, you know, make that decision to pick up the food, there's a whole mental chain of obsession that occurred mm-hmm. that, that could have been going on for, for days and months, you know, for a long time before we actually came to pick up that food. And so what, when I mean by when I'm talking about binging is um, when I talk about that morbid reflection, that's a binge. If I want to sit and, and in a, uh. in a state of thinking, Oh man, I did this wrong. I I should know better, you know. I I or, or even in this program, I hear you know we could berate ourselves. Like, gosh, I've been here for so long. How could I? How could I be fearful? I just did my entire you know four step inventory. I just gave it all away, and here I am back in fear. Like, how that happen? I mean, just can you hear in my voice when I say that? Like the the energy of like you know, that marinating in that place of, of a binge, you know, of, of thinking, I know, you know, you know, that I just staying in that. So binging with my emotions, you know, so, and, and it was really funny because when I, when I got my year of abstinence with the food down after the relapse, um, my sponsor, like a general said, okay, well, let's, this year we'll, we'll be talking about your emotional binging now. And I'm like, what? <laughs> you know? And, uh, you know, th- that's what it's about is, 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 um, where do I, and I, and I, Hate to say it, but I, I could binge emotionally still. And um, but thank God a million times that I've got this process of the steps. I've got this meeting, you know, you know, for, for um, number one, you know, is the meeting here. But but of course I've got the steps that that uh, that I can lean into at any moment in my mind. I could just sit there and do all twelve of them in my in that three minute moment and uh and then reach out and call someone else and it ends up in an act of service to someone else you know that's where we that's where these binges can lead to where we actually become a useful vessel you know for for someone else and um 
that's just the most beautiful thing. So that's that's really what we mean by the emotional emotional binge. Take any emotion; it could be binged on. <laughs> Thank you for the question. Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Karen S. Just a reminder to please stay muted uh, unless you're posing the question, so we can have a quiet recording. Thank you. And Julie D., your turn. Hi, I just wanted to thank you for your share this morning. It was uh, very powerful. I just loved it. Um, I don't know if you talked about this this morning. I don't recall, and I hope it's an appropriate question, but I was just wondering when you talked about um, working with your sponsor and losing some of your weight, I don't recall if you talked about if you had a food plan that you used. Hi, uh, good morning to you. Um, I, it's interesting, though, that that you know, had you had you spoken to me a few years back in this program, I would have told you exactly what my food plan was, and and how, and now it's like, oh right, yeah, I have a food plan. <laughs> like, you know, it's kind of like, yeah, it's there, but it's kind of on the back burner of things. But the truth is that when I first came back out of relapse, yeah, it was important for me to define my my eating and you know what I needed to do. Um, yeah, I, I certainly um, my. My food plan, you know, the bottom line is that um, it's tailored to me. And I think that everybody in this program, you know, as many people come in the OA rooms, there's as many food plans as you could have. Um, I think a lot of times that what I found for myself and for other people, I'm not sure if this is for you, but if it fits, you can wear it too. I find that a lot of times we get caught up in the drama of trying to find a food plan that we can't get a food plan. <laughs> and, um, and I know I did that. And I just had to say, you know, you know, it's, we got to do this. And, and it's also about um, just being totally honest. Like the, the main thing about the steps and the main thing about a food plan is just to do it <laughs> and to be honest and just to get one, you know, get one, be honest. And, and just, um, of course, with the help of a nutritionist, your sponsor, you know, but it's the bottom line is that to keep it a, to, to have it tailored to you, you know, and, and your own allergic foods, your own, you know, monitoring your own food behaviors. Um, but that's, that's what I did in the very beginning. After coming out of, into this, out of this relapse was really hard because I tried to apply the same food plan I had used way back when, but it didn't work anymore because I'm, I'm an older woman now. So <laughs> I couldn't get away with so much food. <laughs> uh, so it's all, it's all about, you know, and that's, and that's the other side of this addiction too that's different than alcoholism to me is that my food plan has changed. My absence has changed throughout the years. And that's, I think, a lot of a big reason why these steps have to be so ingrained and so, so part of us that, you know, nothing's shaking them because, you know, we could have a medical issue. We could have another issue that suddenly we can't eat a certain food. I mean, what are we going to do then? Like, are we going to use that as an excuse to binge? You know, so um, it's about keeping this program spiritual. Um, and I had an incident last summer where I had dehydrated and the EMT, you know, gave me Gatorade, like two huge bottles and I had to drink them on the spot. And thank God, I mean, the next day I was fine. I wasn't binging sugar. I wasn't craving it. It was, it's because I worked this program in a spiritual way. And I, and that showed me actually that, you know, it's a, a powerful lesson to me that about what these steps can do, but certainly the food plan has to be in place. And, you know, when I, I tell my sponsees, you you know, do you have your food plan? Is it written in stone yet? Okay, great. Now there's no, there's just honesty. There's no, there's no, nothing beyond that, you know, and then we get to get to work with the steps. Thank you so much. Thanks, Julie. And Cheryl S., please. 
Yes, good morning. Cheryl S. from Maryland. Thank you, Rachel, so much. I really got a lot out of your share. Um, my question was, once you start working the steps and you go through the steps, I got through steps one, two, and three, and then started to do the fourth step and um, picked up the food. So do I start all the way back with step one, go back to the doctor's opinion, um, and begin again? Thank you so much. I'll pass. Good morning to you, Cheryl. Um I, I'm just going to assume you have a spot. Do you have a sponsor? I, I would say I would say number one is to defer to your sponsor, um, based on you know what what she says. Um, for me, if this occurs with my sponsees, we go back and hover in step two. Um, I believe that any deviation from any of the steps is a step two issue. And it's, it's, we've got to have in place, you know, our, and this is why I talk about the, the higher power expanding every day. That higher power has to be larger than anything going on in my life. You know, if I can't, you know, in step four or five, six, we're giving over a lot of stuff to our higher power. We're, we've got to, like, we've got to have enough place, you know, to, to put it, you know. So the issue, the reason why I picked up food and found myself in a year and a half of relapse was because, my spiritual base was a lot smaller than my life was. And so now, you know, we just keep going back until we flesh out that higher power base that it could be larger than anything happening in our lives. And, and how do we do that? We reach out to others. You know, we reach out to other people. We can sit quietly with ourselves. We, you know, my ability to sit quietly, quietly with myself and to meditate is, is a direct result of reaching out to other people. It's a direct result of, my spot, you know, working with my sponsor, reaching out to other people, and then getting, you know, to be able to sit to, by myself. But any issue, and I, I, this is, I mean, I believe that any issue between step four and nine or or or, or beyond, um, I think that we go back to step two and we just keep keep going and and keep working it again until we can flesh out a, a lot of a larger um, spiritual base and belief in a higher power that we could really give it over over to because at the end of step four, it all comes back to that anyway. You know, I don't mean to do a shortcut version here because everybody needs to, you know, we all need to go through our step four process, but the bottom line is at the end of it all is the need for more of a belief in, a, in, in God and, and a master plan in the universe. So that's, that's what I experienced. Thank you. Thank you so much. That was Thank beautiful. You. Thank you, Cheryl for the question. Karen T, your turn. Hello, can you hear me? Sure can. All right. Rachel, thank you so much for your experience, strength, and hope, and um, just explaining this program so eloquently. Um, I love the image of you uh, when you were uh, trying to get a relapse of sitting down like a general and seeing all of your the, the tools that you've been using against the enemy, the disease. Could you explain, like, when you were uh, analyzing that whole thing again, why the steps weren't enough? I know you explained it, but I was, I was hoping that you could expand on that a little bit. Thank you. Thank you so much for the question. Um, the steps were definitely enough. I wasn't enough. <laughs> um, you know, that, that's the short answer, you know. Um, 
the issue wasn't in the steps. The issue was in, in how I was working them. My, you know, I, I'm still amazed at how big my ego is. And, um, you know, how, how, I mean, I, I think hopefully it's contained a little better these days. But looking back, especially, I mean, I was, you know, in a place of self-will, even in this program. And, and I don't mean to put a downer on anything, but if you, if you, you know, I, 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 one of my favorite places to go online are the archive meetings of this, of vision for you. And I'll go into, you know, 2012 or whatever, you know, to that. And some of those voices you don't hear on the line anymore today. You don't, you don't, they're not here. I mean, I hope they're doing very well somewhere else, but they're not here. And to me, that's a message that I need to be open to this program. You know, I read recently that the the Zen masters, they, they give their, their students a, a gift, a, a bowl. They give them a bowl, and the bowl symbolizes that they've become a vessel that can hold something. You know, that wasn't me. I, I was, you could have told me, and I was spiritual in many other ways too, and I was pretty, a pretty good person, you know, in general. The point is there was, there was but there was a, a point, there was a stop, and it was all based in fear. You know, there was a, a, a resistance that I had anyone telling me what to do so um again the short answer is it wasn't the steps weren't enough it was that i wasn't enough um and and even today i can't fool myself into saying oh i'm enough now but i i am enough you know i'm enough to do this program I, i'm enough to but there's always more work to do um and i and i have to keep remembering that so thank you for the question thank, thank you T. gladys your turn Hi, yes. Uh, thank you for your leading. It was powerful. I, I, can you all hear me? Yes. You sound a little muffled to my ears. Can you... Okay. Are you I, on speakerphone? I, I took it off. Okay, that'll be better. That's better. Yeah, thank you for your lead. I uh, identify with a lot you said, especially being around OA. I've been around for 15 years, and, and it was like I was referred to uh, and I relapsed after about five or six years, and I was referred to a vision for you from to listen to the tapes from another uh, program. And uh, you know, I have like a little issue with like using a AA book for other addictions. So I went to another food program, and now I have like three weeks of absence, but I'm still like attracted to the recovery that I hear in. Um, the Vision for You group. So I was, at, and I have a really great sponsor in the other program. So I was just, my question is like, what would be your take, you know, like on a person having um, two, you know, like two sponsors and two separate food programs? Because I struggle with that. Okay, good. Well, thank you for the question. Um, good morning to you. Um, I um hmm. <laughs> I think that you know it's a it's something to pray about. I think that it would it sounds like it's something for you to sit with. You know, if it doesn't have to be decided today, um I would say to just take time today to pause and um and try to find for yourself, you know, what what works. You know, this program I find that it's not about what's right or wrong, it's about what works and what doesn't. So, um for me, I, I don't know if that scenario would work. It, it, I, I, you know, it sounds a lot. It sounds kind of complicated, um, but I think that it's important for this to be a personal program for each of us. And you, you have your, you know, higher power 
to pray to and, and that, um, you know, I, I just one thing I did want to say, though, you know, so I do encourage you to to pause about it, to pray about it and um, to understand you don't have to make the decision right now, but just to give yourself a little time. Um, and but one thing I do want to say is the steps themselves um, can be worked you know, I think they're universal for any program, you know, in other words, like whatever program you're in, the steps are non-negotiable, you know, so um, whichever program, I'm assuming the other program also works the steps, maybe, or maybe not, I don't know, but, you know, it's, that's the most important thing is to know that that's got to be, you know, the cornerstone of of your program, and then all the other decisions that emanate from that, um, I would just say for you to sit with it and see what works for you. Okay, thank you. Thanks, Gladys. Thank you. Jackie from Ohio. Star one to unmute, Jackie. Good, 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 good morning. This is Jackie from Ohio. What's the first initial of your last name, Jackie? My first initial is J. And I'm from Ohio, and you know, I, I'm I'm hoping I'm not self-willing this, but I've been praying for a very long time to find a person with the name Karen T. But I won't say the whole last name. And I heard a Karen T. come on the line, and I don't know when the appropriate time to give my telephone number because we're long lost. Jackie, wonderful. That's so exciting. Let's take care of this at the conclusion of the recording, please, okay? So there is a conclusion at the end. Yep. Okay. I didn't have a clue. And um, to to be honest in this morning for... You know what? To be honest, I did not hear Ms. Rachel's lead, but I've heard her comments. And I just want to say thank you that your comments were wonderful, what I did hear. And my only question is that everyone can please pray that my Uncle Sonny is able to get his walking back and he can get up the stairs and get back into our home. And thank God for Overeaters Anonymous because it's working in our whole family. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Who else has a question for Rachel W. this morning? Anyone else? This is the final invitation for questions this morning. Star one to unmute. Diane H. in Michigan. Diane H. Anyone else? Questions for Rachel W. Hi, it's Diane F. Uh, in New York. Diane F. Okay, wonderful. Diane H., go ahead first, please. Good morning, Rachel. Thank you very much. That was such a wonderful share. Um, I've been in program a long time, abstinent, um, on the vision for you for a few years now. Um, but I am... Finding it very difficult right now to get through uh, a crisis our family's going through. Our daughter's in radiation right now, and and 
I know the big book tells me to do the fear prayer. I know the big book tells me how to do the big fear prayer. I just, I, I'm not feeling it. I don't, know, I don't know how else to explain it. Um, I've had such miracles in this program, but right now, I just don't feel any trust. I'm scared to death. And and have you ever gone through anything like this, Rachel? I, as, I, as I'm asking this question, I'm kind of um, hearing your words again. It's a step two issue. Um, I'm just not believing. So I guess to kind of make my questions a little more succinct, what have you done um, when you don't feel like you're believing that that your higher power will solve this problem, that your higher power does um, have a plan and it's a good plan because right now I'm scared to death. Um, thanks. Thank you. Thank you so much for your question. And, um, and you know, my thoughts are with you. Um, and what came into my head while you were speaking is um, that humility means taking ownership of our humanity. My sponsor told me this recently, and I think it's so true. Um, and you, I'm, you're saying that you're abstinent. So what I'm going to tell you is that you are feeling what you're supposed to be feeling. Um, and I think sometimes in this program we get caught up in, in thinking that you know, oh, we, you know, we did the steps, and therefore we're superpowers, <laughs> and uh, we don't have to feel anything anymore. And um, sometimes, you know, I'll do a 10 step, and especially I find that um, 10 steps with, you know, our, our family members, um, relatives, you know, sometimes they, they have to be more, done more than once. You know, I found that, you know, sometimes like, wait, I came at the end of this. I'm not really where I'm supposed to be. I need to go back and do this again. And I think it's because, you know, anything occurring with our, our family is just so deep rooted within us that, that, you know, it can cause us a different type of, it's not just an agitation, you know, it's a, it's a deeper pain than that. And I think at that time, it's important to acknowledge our humanity and just the fact that, um, you know, I, I, I shared a little bit about my sister who um, she had non-Hodgkin's lymphoma and I was there the week that she, before she passed away, she lived in Marin County in California. And, um, and let me tell you, you know, I mean, it was, it was, it was, uh, it was, and I did not have program at the time, but I had God and, uh, but I didn't think he cared a lot, a whole lot about me. And I think that instead of blaming God or blaming, you know, other people, it's about just sitting with that, that pain of what's going on. And, 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 and I know this sounds, you know, counterintuitive to some people, but at the helm of everything must be that you have to keep the food down. Absolutely. Like the, that, what I just read on page 450, that paragraph has carried me a lot. If you go back into your big book and I, I was telling you someone, I want to tattoo that on my arm, like the whole paragraph, like just that, you know, no matter what's going on, sobriety has to have a life of its own. As long as you stay sober through this, as long as you stay abstinent through this, um, and God willing, you'll have, you know, positive results. We're all rooting for you to do that, to have that. But as long as you stay sober, you will come out on the other end of this, uh, a different human being with an incredible 
connection to your higher power and a program that you had never imagined. You know, uh, uh, your pro- that's when your program will go nuclear. And as my sponsor always says also, you will be in a position to help others because it, it's, it's very likely that when you go through stuff like this, I know in my life, I go through things and somehow the universe shifts and suddenly I'm meeting someone who is going through the exact thing I went through. So you're going to come out on the other side of this and then, and then be in service to another fellow that might be experiencing the same thing. So um, there's no, you know, clear cut answer. The simple answer is to stay absent no matter what, you know, and at any cost um, and to have that paragraph in mind to keep reaching out to your higher power, to appreciate that you are human and you have emotions. We all have emotions. God created us with emotions, as I said, Bill W. tells us, but we got to just keep those emotions aligned, you know? And yes, sadness and, and, and fear can really, you know, hit us, but we have to just kind of, you know, it, what helps us keep it in check or what helps me keep it in check is just keeping on staying in this program, staying in these rooms. And, and what you're doing right now is, is exactly it. You know, feeling the feelings that you're having, coming on to this meeting, doing this work. You're, you're a soldier. You really are. And uh, you're doing exactly what you should be doing. And, and God be with you. It should all go well. Oh, thank you. That was beautiful. Um, you know, it's funny. That's exactly what I tell my sponsees, what you're experiencing, you can pass on and help others. But, gee, I forgot that part of it. So, thank you. <laughs> Isn't that great thank how that happened? So much. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, thank you so much. Thanks, Diane H. And our last question for the morning comes from Deanne F. Please. Hi. <clears throat> Good morning, Rachel. Oh, my goodness. I, I just love listening to you every time you speak it really you, you really speak uh you speak spiritual language which i'm so grateful today that i actually have um you know ears and a heart that can that can hear what you're saying um what i wanted to ask you is two questions the first one is do you have an actual I hate to use the word template, but it, I think it works. Do you follow a certain um, template in sponsorship? Is there a, a step study that you use, or is it something that you've developed in your time of sponsoring um, that is that's really seems to be you know effective for getting to that spiritual recovered state? Um, that's the first question and just leads into the second question where you're referring back to going into deeper step two work if you're having trouble in the steps and what does that step two work look like? That's my question. Oh, good. Nice questions. Thank you. Good Good morning to you. Um, I, I do have like a system that I follow um, not, you know, based on the text, the big book, the AA 12 and 12, I do dip into the OA 12 and 12 also. Um, I'm a big fan of, of Lori, the Lori uh, big book study, um, the, the way he lays out, you know, lays out the, the steps and the step work there. Um, and there's meditation books as well. Um, so there, there is a whole kind of format that I do. Um, and you know, it's not, you know, the short answer is yes, I do. <laughs> and, um, 
and as far as the the step two getting into you know well how do we do that you know pra- practically um i i didn't really have anything practical per se i always kind of with my sponsees would just um encourage them to um read the meditation books or come up with affirmations i know my sponsor helped help me come up with my own affirmations that i that i i have and and one affirmation that i say um is that i am not god god is one and um um god is there is there is one god who who loves me unconditionally and i and i don't have to do things anything ever alone that's i i kind of batched it up but that's my my affirmation and um i keep that in mind every day i say that to myself every day at least once a day um that just to remind myself that it's i i don't have to do anything alone i can i can call you i can call another fellow i can pray to god there's no aloneness anymore um but so it's an, it's really encouraging them to find their own higher power you know um but then this past summer what changed for me you know to answer your question in terms of like a, of a more practical thing was there was there's um a person named Rena who gave a special edition on higher power and it was very powerful for me and i i encouraged all my sponsees to to listen to her and to do the work that she suggested um it's like a kind of almost like a workshop she did on her special edition and that's a great resource it's on the special edition archive her name is Rena. I think it was last July. I have the number somewhere, but um, that that's a great place to start. Okay, that's that's really wonderful. And if you wouldn't mind, I would love to also call you after, you know, when you're available, just to go absolutely deeper into the into the uh, sponsorship and step work. Thank you, thank you so so much. Thank you, thank you very much. Yes, thank you very much, Rachel, for your inspiring uh, story this morning. Thank you for sharing your personal experience and your personal insights with all of us. We appreciate your service this morning. And I'm going to close. Thanks to everybody who asked questions as well, of course. And I'm going to close from page 164 the way we always close here on A Vision for You. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit. And you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.